This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is really looking forward to Christmas, even if the Santa rally is somewhat elusive. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is Dr. Anirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. Good day, Captain. How are you? Mate, well, I would be better, except I'm my Twitter feed, my well, not my Facebook feed, I don't follow that many people on Facebook from the financial world. My Twitter feed and my kind of newspaper reading is full of worst start to December since 1931, all that kind of rubbish. Oh. The Santa rally, it's supposed to be here, mate. It hasn't turned up yet. Oh, well, I was looking forward to it, but it's not happening, it looks like. Ho, ho, bloody ho. All right, let's get on with it, mate. We're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about the ASX being down, as we talked about. Hmm. Going to talk about banks again, because they just can't keep themselves out of the news. Oh, you love the banks. I do love the banks. We're going to talk about super funds and the somewhat lackluster returns, car sales, and the oil glut. There is too much of the black stuff. Let's get into it. Mate, um, the ASX Hmm. is down, as I said, the worst start to global markets for December since 1931. I kind of care and I kind of don't, but let's go with that. <laughs> what, so, so thinking about what's going on, mate. So, look, whether yeah, the, the first the first two weeks of December are neither here nor there, right? It's a stupid stat that people pull out to get headlines and clicks and all that kind of good stuff. But that being said, the market is still well down from its highs. It's not a new topic. We've talked about it most weeks. You've kind of got the well, and here's here's what I want to propose to you. Mm-hmm. I reckon those people trying to conflate ASX's falls with local issues are getting it absolutely wrong. We're about in line with what's happening on the states. It's hard to say there's too much of the local story that's really impacting markets. It strikes me as simply a a local reaction to a global, I call it problem. The markets seem to have lost all confidence. Risks are new. Hmm. The bears are back. Is is it really a local problem or is it just a, are we just, it's the old America sneezes and Australia catches a cold problem? Oh, can, I, can I take a halfway view? Yeah. You can. <laughs> you your bloody nuance. That's, that's just, I'm trying to be nuanced yeah, these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's my new thing. <laughs> 2019. I like it. The nuanced. Well, I'll wait till <laughs> next year. Give me, give, me, give me some thoughtless, you know, arbitrary answers this year. And then next year you can go on nuance. Go on. <laughs> so so I, I think, well, you, I think it's absolutely right to say that, you know, the, um, mm. the overseas markets are... Um, Unhappy, mm. <laughs> they're down. Uh, no sense. Unhappy, unhappy is uh, <laughs> yeah, very subtle way of putting it. <laughs> so um, uh, we are sort of following the. Uh, but there's some some other things, right? I mm. mean, this this uh, trade war thing. This is mm. a global issue, right? I mean, mm. the trade war between the U.S. and the China affects everyone, yeah. really, right? So so that's that's a problem. Some of the um, the Chinese growth numbers have not been, you know, China's growth is slowing down. I mean, man, so so retail sales growth was eight percent. It wasn't the eight point eight percent the market was looking for. I heard it described as terrible. I would love that problem. So here's the thing, right? The Chinese economy. I mean, if okay, so if you backtrack and you yeah. say the Chinese economy was half the size of it is <laughs> what it is now, ten mm-hmm. years ago, mm-hmm. um, and you know, ten years ago it was growing at eight percent. Now it's yeah. only growing at six. So it's a much larger market growing at six percent. So I mean, what's the problem? Nice problem. To uh, have. It's a nice problem to have. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, the market has expectations, and yeah. the expectations are not being met. So that's part of it. That's true. That's true. Mm, Rate increases, it's part of it, you know. Be- oh, you know, so all those things are real. I don't, I don't, it doesn't feel to me though, this is a rational thing. This feels to me like a ho- the resurgence of fear. Yeah. Y- yes, there are some data points that kind of matter. That, yeah, of course, they're important. Slowing growth is important. Re- interest rate increases are important. But none of this feels like a, okay, so we've done the maths and we've carefully worked out mm. that as China's. Retail sales falling from 8.8% to 8% means this much for the economy. And so this is why these companies are worth less. Mm. We've literally taken 15%-ish ish off the value of the world's share markets. Mm-hmm. 
on the back of a one, two, three, four data point scenario, yeah. is it really possible the future profits of every company on the listed exchanges around the world are 15% lower? Because that's what they imply, right? Yeah. Share prices falling 15% say that the, the net present mm. value, to use the horrible jargon, mm. of all future profits are now 15% lower than we thought they were three, four months ago. Mm. No, that I strikes mean, me as a little well, overreaction. I mean, you know, either if three months ago it was overpriced. <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> yeah, or it, it is now underpriced or yep. maybe we're at fair value, right? I mean, that's a valuation question. Mm-hmm. But you, you are right. I mean... Yeah. So the way I look at it, many of many companies which mm-hmm. are doing, you know, awesomely well, um, if you think about the fact that, um, you know, unemployment is overall, globally speaking, leaving mm-hmm. a few pockets mm-hmm. low, right? Um, you know, all those fears about technology eating up the jobs, you know, that doesn't seem to be, you know, it's not, it's, the numbers are not showing that. Yeah. And so if you, if you think of the economy as a whole, it's on a good footing. Like I mean, overall, the economy is on a good footing. You know, it's growing at three percent, four percent, five percent, or whatever the very expectations are. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right to say that. You know, maybe, uh, maybe there's all of a sudden a resurgence of fear, volatility, and that's back. And you know, markets fall every so often, right? I mean, every fourteen, fifteen months, you ex- expect some uh, pullback. Yeah. Or you know, not every like not not on a regular basis, but you know, they happen every now and then. And this is one of those things. And yeah. This. Two shall pass. When? I don't know. Well, we think it should pass. The market's not so sure, right? There's a lot of pessimism out there. This is the beginning of the end for a lot of people. (gasps) Donald Trump was out there during the week saying the Fed should hold rates because the US is winning and so, you know, putting up rates would say they weren't winning or something. Well, they should should increase rates if if they think the economy is overheating. They shouldn't do anything if the economy is not overheating. Mm. Um, It's not about winning really, right? I mean, you know, unemployment, again, in the US is pretty low. Um, yeah, I I don't see any big huge problems. Like yeah. I mean, it's, it, the thing, the, the funny thing. I think we talked about this last week. Um, you know, you, we were chatting. The funny thing about the market is that uh, I think four months back we were talking about North Korea and how you know that's a big problem. Nobody's talking about North Korea anymore. Yeah, North Korea is no longer a problem. Something else is a problem, right? <laughs> that, was, that is true. <laughs> so, that's true. So the problems keep shifting. Uh, because this problem is more real, though, according to the market. So just to, just to be devil's advocate, North Korea, the market fell a couple of percent, was kind of worried mm. for a couple of weeks. This is a sustained, I want to say now, four-month fall from kind of August highs. There's no end in sight. Share prices are down today, down tomorrow, down yesterday. It doesn't feel like a blip. It doesn't feel like a kind of one of those you know, short-term panics, Brexit's and North Korea's and Donald Trump when he was first elected, markets fell 4% and then kind of got back to business. This is this strikes me as some sort of change in the market sentiment, a, a more permanent or at least longer term change. I, I'll take a very, you know, uh, a sarcastic view on that. <laughs> and I'll say that this uh, – North Korea has nukes. You have a, mm, you have a nation mm. that's pretty much cut out from the world and has got nukes and pretty yeah. much destroy everyone yeah. on the planet. That's not a problem. But uh, I don't know what the current problem is. You know what? We have unemployment, which is at historic lows in the US, which mm, is a problem, mm. really. Uh, and, um, you know, China wants to be a superpower. Is that a problem? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> um, it's got a booming economy. Is that a problem? Maybe mm. not. <laughs> right? So, I don't know. I mean, I, I think... To me, it appears like um, the last, you know, significant pullback in the U.S. was sometime in February of 2016, if I'm correct. Yes. Uh, since then, you've had a very strong run, right? And, you know, from like March of 2016 or something, you've had a very strong run until now, yeah. right? Many people's portfolios would have been up, like, you know, a lot. <laughs> and and you've given up some of those gains. Mm. Um, it's not the end of the world. I mean, these things happen. 
Um, you just, you know, that's the part of that, that's the part of being an equity investor. You're I, remaining stubbornly optimistic, Doc. I like it. Yeah, it's you know, I'm optimistic. I have been buying shares. I think people oh, should be buying go. shares. You know, that's you know, I've been buying shares, and now I'll ask you, what have you been doing? You know, you should be buying shares. I too. completely agree with you for the record. As much as I was playing devil's advocate, I think optimism is always the smartest approach. I think I said last week, the week before, uh, remains the case. Markets are down. It feels yuck. It feels pretty awful. And look, we should say, you know, for a lot of people, you and I have been around the block, and we're professional investors for better or worse and uh, and so we kind of were trained for this stuff and we we kind of try and keep our ourselves you know well positioned for optimism and for growth and we kind of accept these things happen uh, we know from our own members that and frankly our own podcast listeners that these things are scary times right when you mm-hmm. see your mm-hmm. portfolio i mean some people with you know big portfolios who are seeing them fall by 10 to 15 percent yeah that's the price of a couple of new cars for a lot of people and that, you know that's not that's not nothing that hurts yeah um and so you know we, we get it now uh, as you're listening to us we get the, the pain we get the fear we get the uncertainty um we absolutely do understand it and and get it i will say for what it's worth um to doc's point there are these things happen really regularly and so while it feels unusual and, and rare and real and all that kind of good stuff and it is for the last 18 months or so mm-hmm. You kind of the market in the US, I want to say, falls ten percent every twenty or so months. Yeah, on average, like that. yeah, yeah. So you know, you, this, this, this is kind of normal, right? That uh, if there's one message from us, I think it's like this is normal. Yeah, it's scary, it's painful, and it's and it's all those things. It's also just incredibly, incredibly normal. And whenever when, this is also the problem, we know that the human brain processes fear as both more um, impactful, but mm-hmm. also smarter, right? So pessimism always sounds smarter. Mm-hmm. So the market's falling. Someone comes out and says, oh, it's falling because of this, this you know, X, Y, and Z. It's really, really tempting to go, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I can see how that could be true. Mm-hmm. Okay, I better not invest. You know, it's really, that, that's such an easy thing to do because, frankly, every bit of evidence you're seeing right now is the market is falling, the market is falling, the market is falling, and the pessimists are out there. It takes a lot of guts, it takes a lot of optimism, a lot of confidence to say, I hear all that, and maybe they even do keep falling for a while, but I still believe over the long-term investing, being positive, buying shares is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. We are resolutely optimistic. Well, definitely. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Speaking of... The exact opposite to that, mm-hmm. the banks. <laughs> We've talked about them regularly as well, mm. but it's kind of, it's the it's the story that keeps on giving and we don't, we try not to bore you with the same topics every week, but mm. again, this is kind of important, right? So you were telling me the other day, Doc, NAB and Westpac have now hit six year lows. Fascinating. I, six I mean, year lows. Six year lows. I looked yeah. at NAB's PE this morning, Comsec's reporting as 9.99, which is horribly close to 10 and yes, it's below double digits, but you know, you don't have to anchor to the double digit necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's just, well- in any other on any other metric, that is incredibly cheap. Mm. The dividend yield is eight point six percent for four mm. franking, mm. so that's close enough to probably eleven ish grossed up, oh. maybe mm. even eleven and a half. Mm. Um, they are in it, for any other business in any other circumstance, we would be saying that's about as cheap as it gets. Mm. But is it cheap enough to buy? <laughs> is that a question for me? It is indeed. <laughs> I get to ask the questions, mate. That's why That's why I, I, I love doing this job, mate, because I get to answer the stuff I want to answer. I get to ask you the hard questions. Uh, well, I have to say, when I saw those numbers, you know. Aren't they it, astonishing? I, they, they look astonishing. And they look, you know, so it, for a second, the growth mm, investment mm, said, maybe mm. I should buy some shares, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and get the, you know, get the dividend and, and stuff. Yeah. Mm. 
Uh, it does look cheap. Okay, so yeah. it is getting. I, I think it, they were mm. when they were selling at thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and I think CB at one point was even sixteen. Yeah, that to me looked ridiculous. Like, and why would you pay sixteen times for a bank which is like go, yeah, going to yeah. grow earnings at like three percent? Um, this doesn't look uh, expensive. Yeah, it it would be cheap, or 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 I'd, okay. I mean, let me rephrase that. I think it it is value. Yeah. If they can grow the earnings at <laughs> if if that's but they don't have to the, grow though, right? You could actually have flat earnings at ten times. I mean, if you if you can get eleven and a half percent fully franked, or yeah. sorry, grossed up, yeah, and if that's you can almost get the, enough, right? Yeah, and if you can get the same earnings that you have, and you can do right, that right, for forever, right, right, right. yeah, I'll give you that. So uh, I mean, and 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 then maybe it's you know at, you're buying it ten times or eight times or whatever. You can wait till eight times, and but. I think there are risks here, though. The, yeah. the risks, as we've talked about before, there's interest rate risk here, um, both, yes. both overseas and local. Yeah. Um, there's a risk that, you know, our property market is still overpriced, you know. Uh, it's, it's still not hit my 20% below <laughs> the peak. <laughs> therefore, it must be uh, by definition overpriced. Uh, therefore, right? by definition, it's overpriced. I see, I see. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, even, you know, the Sydney market is down like 10%, um, and it, it's still out of the reach of many first-time yeah. home buyers, buyers. So, there's that. So, if mm, the property mm. prices take you know another ten percent drop, and mm. then interest rates increase. The bank's net interest margin, which is the difference, you know, of the money they make off the interest they we pay them versus the interest they pay for borrowing money uh, from others. Um, I mean, if that shrinks, then you know the their profitability. Uh, could be, you know, under pressure, right? If the bad debt rises, that push mm, pushes mm. Uh, profitability down. So, uh, I'm getting towards mm. the point where, you know, even someone like Ooh, me... Oh, you can buy in the banks. Might buy some He's buying banks, the banks. You know, but not yet. You heard yet. it here first? Oh, yeah, not yet. Not okay. yet. Not yet. Not, uh, yeah. uh, you know, not, not... But it is, like, I mean, it is symbolic, yeah. you yeah. know, yeah. that is down. So... I'll say a couple of things. I think, um, look, I, I am also, the value hunter in me is desperately tempted on those banks. I have yeah. to say with a P less than mm. 10, a, a yield of 8.6, mm. man, you've got to say, well, how much more do you want? Uh, I, I, what I would say is that banks always trade in a low PE traditionally, and so we need to be a little bit careful. The market tends to trade an average of about 14, 15 times earnings. Banks tend to trade in 11 and 12 as a matter of course, maybe 13. So they do tend to trade at a discount because that growth just isn't there. So mm. we need to be careful saying 10 is cheap. It is relative to a high growth company at 25, but mm. very, very different dynamics of play. Also, too, the, the, your point about the, the bad debt, you know, it's nine times current earnings. That could very quickly become 15 times future earnings, for example, in a different environment. And frankly, the market's pretty good, so it tends to mark down companies when they do have lower future prospects, either lower growth or actual declines. Mm -hmm. And those are both possible things. And as you've talked about property, I'm not as bearish on property as you. I don't see a catalyst for wide-scale bank uh, bank bad debts. Mm Mm-hmm. Or bad debt provisions going up. I can see circumstances where it might happen, and I can I can draw you a picture of how I think it might happen. Mm. I don't see those coming to pass. And mm-hmm. so, if you're super bullish on banks or the economy, this is absolutely buying territory. Mm-hmm. But you have to believe that profits are stable or growing, uh, with very little chance of decline. And I think that's why the market's mm. <laughs> frankly offering them for cheap because the market's not as convinced uh, that that there's no or little or less chance of of pure downside there. But we'll um we'll see we'll see we'll see. Value stocks, stock market, stock market, index, share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, let's move on from banks. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm inclined to mention that there's a new voluntary crackdown on some poor bank practices, um, but voluntary crackdowns are... Uh, voluntary? 
Well, they're good, aren't they? They're, they're almost worth the paper they're written on, those mm. volunteer It's like industry codes of conduct that, are, that in theory are supposed to help companies do the right thing because mm. we know how well that's done in the banking and insurance business recently. Let's move on. Um, mate, so speaking of tough markets, mm. this is going to be a tough year in theory, so the reports say, for super funds. Mm. It's going to be the first negative year, year of negative returns, to be a little clearer with my language, the first year of negative returns for super funds in seven years. Mm. For all those super fund members who've enjoyed rising share prices, rising house prices, all that good stuff that's delivered gain after mm. gain after gain for super funds, falling property prices, falling share market, mm. it's going to, the year's going to finish in the red. Mm. Tough. And the headline's going to be uh, come January 4, January 6, January mm. 10, plenty of bad news headlines. Mm. I'm going to get questions from my mother and my family, I'm sure, about have I done the right thing with super? Super's going down. What's going on? I'm, mm. I'm contributing money here. It's supposed to go up, isn't it? What is going on with super? Well, so it's seven years. Uh, it's a what? 20, last time there was a loss was 2011. I suppose roughly then. Yeah. 11 so, I mean, you know, 2011, yeah. we had a loss. Then yep. we had you know, steadily increasing market value for like what? Six years, yeah, <laughs> and now we have <laughs> nice, to, nice to do, right? That's pretty, pretty stonkingly good. Yeah, and then you know it's been a volatile year, and the markets are overall down. And if you if you have like a super fund which is you know diversified across you know some mm, property, mm. some in, some international shares, some mm. domestic shares, then you have yeah. you know you and you have nowhere to hide. Basically, everything is down. And yeah. uh, if if these are invested in broad market funds or you know like ETFs and things like that, yeah, then. Um, yeah, they're down. I mean, again, part of part of being a long-term investor, I think some of, some years are going to be down. If every year was up, then uh, then it'd be too easy. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, this it, it is not. I mean, if I think I think this hurts again those people who are um, you know relying on an income stream for it, those who are retiring right, yeah. and so on. If so, for them, I mean, hopefully they have got enough that they can again ride through this yeah. uh, which is the ideal scenario uh, but for those who are like you know still in the super contribution phase I mean it, this should not phase you in in the least right I mean you know it basically means that your fund is buying stuff at cheap hopefully the contributions you're making are resulting in them buying things on the cheap and you know in the future you're going to say you know the future returns are going to be higher hopefully because they're buying on the cheap now um, so yeah, yeah I, 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 again I think you know mm, these mm, things happen mm. Should listeners be doing something different with their super as a result? So for those looking at it going, I don't want to lose money. What can I do to stop losing money in my super? What Should, should they be pursuing a different strategy? There's lots of pre-mixed options in most super funds. You can choose growth or conservative or balanced or high risk or cash only. For people listening there who are saying, well, okay, I'm investing my, my money over here, but I don't want my super to lose money. Shouldn't I just go to cash with my super? Shouldn't I take the, the most conservative option available so I lock I lock out the chance of losses? Right. So again, general advice here, because uh, it, it you know what you do matters mm. a lot on uh, depends a lot on what your circumstances are. True, true. But but like I mean, historically over the long term, mm-hmm. the if the stock market is delivering you ten percent returns and your your cash is delivering you like two percent mm-hmm. returns, then what mm-hmm. should you do? You should be invested in the stock market to get the ten percent returns, right? Yeah. Um, whether you should be in growth or diverse, you know, in, in more focused on growth or you know mm-hmm. more conservative, that really depends on your stage of life and you know mm-hmm. your own situation and so on, right? I mean, people early on, like you know, you mm-hmm. can you can be happily invested in growth, and if you're you know if you've got twenty years of savings to make mm. um, inve- investing for growth seems reasonable to me um, that's what I would do mm. um, again 
um, again, it depends on your individual circumstances here. But there's no, I mean, what would you do? Go to gold? Uh, go to cash? Yeah, I cash, mean, well, cash, cash is at least positive, right? So if you're, if you're worried, you go to cash, wouldn't you? Yeah, but I mean, you're going to get only two percent return, right? I mean, the market is better than losing money. Well, but but if you have if you're <laughs> making ten percent over, uh, you know, ten yeah. years, yeah. that you know, two percent over ten years versus ten percent—that's a humongous mm, difference. Mm, mm. Um, the 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 only thing I'll say is a couple of things. Like many super funds don't beat the market. Mm-hmm. Because you know they have positioned the fund in such a way that it's balance not, in air quotes balance balance that they're not going to beat the market. <laughs> balance means we're going to we're not going to make you as much money as we could otherwise. Yeah, so th- that is I think a problem. So yeah, I think yeah. one one of the things that you should see is does your super fund actually mm. deliver above market or mm. at least market returns? I mean, g- getting at least yeah. market returns. Seems like a no-brainer. I mean, you know, you just invest in a market and you should get market returns. Mm-hmm. If you're getting below market returns, then that's something. Uh, I was actually, you know, the reason I'm saying this is I had seen that on my super statement. Mm-hmm. I said, how can this be? How mm-hmm. can you get such, and it's not by like, you know, if small 0.01%. Sometimes mm-hmm. these are mm-hmm. like, you know, 2 3%. Below. That's almost like getting slightly better than cash. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're not getting market returns, Let's say anywhere between you know nine ten percent eight to ten percent. Let's say, mm. then then I think you know you should really investigate what you're invested in, and what your super fund is doing. That's mm-hmm. you know that's the only thing I'd say. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think that's the the, the what I hate about the yearly return headlines is that people focus on the last year. And again, my mother, God love her, she's asked me exactly the same questions. And and my mother is also smart enough to listen to me because I'm a very smart guy. Of course. Um, but there's always that question, right? Of like, mm. if, if super should go up, you, you're contributing money every single month or quarter, and you feel like, well, hang on, it's not supposed to go down, right? I'm supposed to be saving for my retirement. Mm. I think that's where people, if you read as your listeners, sorry, you're probably very used to our talks about volatility. Mm. Do yourselves and your friends and family a favor i don't know whether i don't know whether super is necessarily a christmas table topic uh, but if you get the chance to bring it up I, you know, just just remind some people who maybe aren't as financially savvy as you are because you're listening to us so you're obviously very financially savvy very smart and incredibly good looking um, but you're you know you know these things people will look at super and say it's supposed to go up isn't it why isn't it going up what should i do differently again as as doc you mentioned this is only general advice but the general view even if you're retiring next week you're going to be drawing down that cash, hopefully, for 20 years, right? You need that to grow over time, not just hold its value. Mm-hmm. And so generally, for most people, you, you kind of got to roll with the punches, right? And so if you, if you want to do your friends and family a favor over Chrissy, just remind them that, you know what, this, this, is, this, this happens. Over time, super is much higher than it would have been five, 10 years ago because of that balanced nature, because of that growth nature of most funds. So do yourself a favor. Don't go to cash at exactly the wrong time, which, by the way, is about now after the falls of locked in. Mm-hmm. Um, just just stay the course, understand the value of long-term investing and help them understand that too because you really will be doing them probably a six-figure favor by the time they come to retirement. So there's a lot of value in in having a, a good conversation. Have, have, a, have a bit of Chrissy cake, have a glass of wine and then bring up super and if you don't get kicked out, you'll do well. Invest in shares. Invest in shares. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. I'm going to move away from shares for one minute, Doc. Well, it's kind of shares related, right? So the the converse, mm. poor, well, I was going to say poor old um, oil and gas explorers, but oh. I, I kind of figure if you, I don't know, if, I don't know how sorry I feel for someone who's act, who's deliberately taking on that, that mantle, right? Mm. Um, it's kind of one of those things. If you want to run, run an airline, you kind of can't expect too much sympathy when things get tough. Mm. I reckon it's kind of the same with oil and gas. Mm. But gee, it's been a tough ride. So 
there, there were plenty of people out there who were saying oil was going to go to 70, 80, 100, $150 a barrel. Uh, cheap, you know, it's getting harder to get to. It's getting more expensive to get to. The Saudis are pushing the price up. The, the, the oil price bulls were very, very loud come June, July this year. Mm. Now, I'm going to give us a little bit of a pat on the back. I wrote a piece in the Fairfax Press, now the Nine Press, of course, SMH and The Age, in July saying the oil price is too high, guys. This is getting a bit crazy. Just be careful how you invest. Mm. The oil price on that day, I, I happen to have looked it up because I, we do research on this show, particularly when it makes me look good. Mm-hmm. Um, it was $74.11 US. Mm. It fell below 50 bucks on Monday night this week. Mm-hmm. Tuesday night this week, it fell seven and a half percent to forty six US dollars a barrel. That's the that's a fall of close enough to forty percent from mm. those prices. Now, I claim no expertise. I don't do predictions. I just said, hey, I think this is too high. Not mm. it's going to fall and it's going to fall to this price this price by this mm. date. So it's not a prediction, and I'm not not doing a victory lap here. But it always seemed to me it was just too high based on the simple laws of supply and demand. Mm. There was enough cheap oil available that really the price couldn't stay above the marginal cost of production for too long. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we know the fall is partly because of the base commodity supply and demand. We also should say it's also very much because of this sentiment that's driving mm-hmm. the world right now, the fear and, and concern about international trade, all that kind of stuff. We know oil moves roughly in terms of the supply and demand, or demand roughly in line with GDP growth. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a proxy for that. So people betting against oil. Also betting against the fact the Saudis keep the Venezuelans and Russians under control, which I think is a fair bet. I don't know why I'd want to have that job. Mm-hmm. Uh, where to for oil? What's what's going on? So I mean, yeah, oil is, is down uh, quite a bit. I mean, with the, the thing with the oil is, as you said, it's all about supply and demand, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And in in this particular case, uh, I think the U.S. shale, uh, sh- uh, what's it called, shale, shale gas, shale oil, yeah. shale oil. Yep. yep. Um, you know those efficiencies, fracking as they call fracking, them. The, the efficiency increases yeah. over time. Right, the technology improves. That allows them, and when the, when the cost goes above, you know, goes to sixty dollars mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. so. I mean, you know, these guys can produce a lot in, of pro, in profits, yeah. right? So right yeah. now, US is producing a lot of oil. Yep. Russia is, you know, producing a lot of oil. Also, also part of the problem for, you know, what they historically tend to do is when the price, you know, gets too low, they sort of cut down on the production to, you know, um, to boost the prices back up. Yep. But not all nations want to do that, especially, yeah. like, you know, yeah. the Russians don't want to do that because it affects their own economy, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's those dynamics. And I, I think, again, you know, there's talk of, you know, cuts um, mm. to oil production. Mm. And if mm. that happens, maybe the price will go back up. But to me, it seems like, you know, we're, we're going to be range bound between... Range bound? You sound like a technical uh, analyst now. Yeah. Hang on. So maybe range bound between, you know, $45 and $75. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so if, if you want to make some money and you, are, you, you know, you, maybe you buy when it is like 45 mm-hmm. and you sell when it's like 70 mm-hmm. um, and, and you, you, know, you could possibly do something like that. The only thing I'll add is that over time, one of the things with, with oil is that, you know, our demand goes up because we have more people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, our efficiency goes up. Mm-hmm. Right. Which means we need less. Right. Oil, right? right I mean, right. think about think about your car. Right. Your yep. car now drives like what? To yep. the, you know, it's so efficient. Right. So, I will. I will. T- I'm going to do a free ad for Volkswagen. We got a mm-hmm. Golf, right? It's about three or four years old. Mm. I can drive from. And now, admittedly, this is freeway driving. I live in the Southern Highlands of New South Wales. I can drive into the city and back. Average fuel consumption is 3.9 liters per hundred k's. Mm. That is phenomenal. 
So think about that. Like 3.9 com- litres, 4 litres per 100 k's. It's amazing. C- compare that with like, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Right, right, right. right. I mean, so, I mean you know, people have more cars. True. Well, so but- the 20-year-old Camry <laughs> replaced was doing about 12 to 14 litres per 100 k's. Literally, we cut our fuel consumption by two-thirds. Right. And, now, and probably and, didn't pay for the new and, car, and, by and, the way, but we had to replace it. And you can cut your fuel com- cons- consumption to oh, zero if you want to buy go. like you know, a go. Tesla, right? I mean, so, you know, you could, you could, it's and the burn oil. coal is, instead of oil. The oil, just put some solar on your roof. So the world is changing it is what i'm calling a range bound mm. on uh on, on the on the oil price uh, yeah it's probably going close to the bottom <laughs> then maybe we're going to go up it, again it is fascinating, it's it, fascinating. What, what i find most uh, amazing about oil and i may have mentioned this before the saudis can get it out of the ground for what they're i was listening to an interview with bethany Ten dollars or something like yeah 10 bucks <laughs> a barrel literally so the fact the price is so high really only speaks to the cartel behavior of the middle east producers mm. it's also why they want to keep the russians and venezuelans under mm. control and the u.s shale kind mm. of at bay because at some point um, they cease to become the marginal producer, right? And so, uh, well, they're not the marginal producer, I should say. So, as as the marginal producers are getting cheaper, it's actually putting pressure on them. Yeah. There's actually some really, I won't go on too much of a tangent, some really fascinating geopolitical kind of ramifications too because the Saudis were using high-priced oil to pay for a whole lot of social programs for the country. So, they, their, their entire economy is basically run on oil. Mm. And so, all of the things they provide, all of the social services, everything else they do, is funded by oil. And so mm. you think about our, our budget, right? Our budget kind of, yeah, the budget deficits and surpluses kind of move around a little bit. Mm. Um, and I mean, large dollar values, but not in, not in terms of the total economy. If, you're, if, you're, if the vast, vast, vast bulk of your economy is funded by oil and you go from getting $75 a barrel to $45 a barrel, you reckon government coffers aren't straining a little bit under, under yeah. the, the, I was going to say the load. So it's mm. the lack of load, right? They're, they're kind of emptying out pretty quickly. At some point, it kind of threatens sort of geopolitical stability, which, mm-hmm. again, I don't want to get too far down that path, but really, really fascinating. One of those commodities that really does power the world and has really, really fascinating political and economic consequences. Fair to say, too, by the way, if the oil price, this is the other thing, if the oil price drops, the price of petrol drops. Mm. If that drops, so does inflation, allegedly. Mm. And so just be careful when you look at the inflation numbers. People say, oh, inflation's falling, that's no good. Mm. I don't know. I reckon I'm happy to pay for get cheaper petrol. If, it, if, if all that matters is the inflation, the reported inflation number... I'll take that. Well, I'm happy to pay less for food. I'm happy to pay less for oil. That's not bad, is it? <laughs> that sounds like a great. I'll spend more. How about uh, how about? Let's see. You don't need a Tesla now. You just get cheap cheap oil. Oh, you need a Tesla. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's finish this with a couple of mailbag. We've mm. got a few minutes left, and we've got a couple of questions from our listeners, so we want to cover that. We had a question from Chris, and Chris, it's okay to mention my name with a smiley face, so that's good. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say the podcast is great, so I'm not sure whether I should cover it. Oh, okay, I'll ask his question. Only because he says, hi, Scott and Nirvan. Scott, I hope you enjoyed your trekking adventure. There you go. A bit of suck up there. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Chris. Mm-hmm. I did. Thank you very much. I did manage to get pneumonia from it, as you guys know. But I'm, I'm, I'm otherwise feeling pretty good. I'm back to full health. I'm hoping on uh, a little bit later I'll, I'll hear from the doctor and give me a full a clean bill of health, and I can go back to my life as usual, but I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, Chris says, you've both talked a lot about diversification having 20 to 30 different stocks. Hmm. I had a look at Scott's current portfolio, oh dear, and I can see your own shares in 10 different companies. Why don't you diversify more? I'm not asking about an Eban's portfolio, given his short positions, which still confuse me a lot. I, I have that. no short positions. Just well, for he, means, he means derivatives, and yeah. I, I, I don't know why you bother, mm. but different conversation. <laughs> uh, he also has a second question, a very quick one. You mentioned once the title of a book in which you, an author put some logical order I put in some logical order, Warren Buffett's letters. Could you please email me the title? Chris, I'm not going to email you the title because it's a really, really easy one I can do over the over the uh, the, the airwaves, the pod waves, the 
podcasting, podcasting waves, electronic, uh, electronic, yeah, yeah, whatever that yeah. thing is. Um, the the book is very simply titled "The Essays of Warren Buffett." Uh, it's by Lawrence A. Cunningham, I want to say. Yep. Yep. Um, so the essays of Warren Buffett. Google it, uh, Kindle it, uh, iBooks it if you have to. Um, but uh, yeah, gr- great. Look, it, it does cost money, as we've said before. You can get those for absolute free from the Berkshire Hathaway website, which is just berkshirehathaway.com. Uh, but what I really like, particularly for investors who are getting started and getting stuck into Warren Buffett's letters, the logical order, the framework that Cunningham provides is a really, really good one. It also puts kind of Buffett's topical content in sequential order. So rather than reading an entire letter on 15 different topics and then reading the next one on 15 different topics, Cunningham kind of puts all the topics together. So you're reading his his kind of evolution of his thinking about a, a topic at a time, which I think is is pretty, pretty useful. Uh, but the question about the differentiation of diversification, sorry, of stocks, I think is a really good one. So I've got a very there's a very simple answer for, for the answer to my question. I owned about 15 or 16 companies once upon a time. About two years ago, I sold a decent number, three years ago maybe, I sold a decent number of them to pay down my mortgage. That was that simple. The ones I kept were recommendations from our services because our trading rules preclude me from selling those and I wouldn't do it anyway because uh, our members come first. And so I would, feel, I would feel bad about selling stocks that our members, I were currently telling our members to buy or hold. So I sold everything other than the recommendations that we currently then had. Uh, as it turns out, I think two of those are no longer recommendations. I could sell them, but I haven't. Um, and I'm adding money to my investment account regularly. I'm making more purchases in due course. So um, nothing nothing kind of too tricky or, or, or clever about that. Um, I will say for what it's worth that I, I'm loath to mention this. It's one of those do as I say, not as I do kind of problems. So there are investors out there who will say, um, you know, don't diversify too much. You know, by the time you diversify to 20 or 30 stocks, you know, if you're investing in your 30th best idea, is that really smart? Now, so there's a question of kind of risk tolerance or not even risk tolerance, volatility tolerance is probably the way I'd put it. Um, so I have a, a very, very uh, concentrated portfolio. Two companies represent probably two thirds of my portfolio because of mostly because of that sell down, quite frankly, because I sell the other ones I, I could. And so what was left, uh, I simply have a larger weighting in. Um, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I will diversify over time to more companies, but I feel pretty good about 15 to 20 is probably where I think I'll end up. Um, now, I don't get the full benefits of diversification, but I'm kind of happy with that. Mm. Um, again, for most people, I think it makes sense to have more diversification, particularly if you're either less skilled, less interested, um, or less kind of comfortable with volatility. So if you're someone who says, I don't really think I know what I'm doing here, more is good. If you don't have the time to watch it closely, more is good. If it's going to freak you out when a 10 or 15% position falls by 10 or 15%, then again, more is good. So um, I've had... My second largest position's fallen by about 25%, Doc, I want to say. Um, and, you know, that kind of hurts in, in, in large dollar values. Um, but I'm kind of okay with that as a, as, as a position, as a holding, and as an impact. So um, there is some element to that. I will absolutely be buying more over time. I think my portfolio will probably max out at 18 to 20 companies is my guess. Um, everyone's different. But, again, we talk about the, the, the academic research on the full benefit of diversification is 25 to 30 um, that's changed, by the way. It used to be 12 to 20. So the, the kind of research and the market realities have changed a little bit. Uh, but that's that's where I sit in terms of my own portfolio. Do you have any comments on diversification and stockholders? Oh, no, I think you covered it. Like, I mean, I mean the, the only thing I'll add, I, I own way more than that. And and part of the reason is that I have a lot of higher risk. Um, right, that's a good point. Know, up, and, up and coming companies. Yep. So, you know, oh, my tendency there is that, mm, you know, I'll mm. invest some amount of money. And then I'll let it ride. Um, I generally tend to not make any changes. Mm. If there's new money to be added, I actually, you know, if I find a new idea, um, I add it there. Yeah, um, that's a good so point. It's, yeah, again, it, I think, it, 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 you know, depends on the type of company you've yeah. got. Yeah. I, I will say that, so my largest portfolio holding is Berkshire Hathaway for what it's worth. Um, it is... Very diversified. <laughs> well, it's diversified in itself. You're exactly right. But it's also one of those like bedrocky kind of companies where 
I kind of feel really I, I don't feel like I need as much diversification A because it diversified itself as mm. you say Doc everything from Coca-Cola to Apple to mm. um, machine parts out of Israel mm. like you know really really diversified business um, but also to you know I, I feel very good about trusting what's probably about oh, maybe almost half of my uh, my current wealth outside my house um, to Warren Buffett's hands I, I don't feel like I need to diversify much beyond that in and of mm-hmm. itself mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't have that and I held different companies I'd probably feel differently about it to your point you have a very different portfolio construction than mm-hmm. I do um, you've probably done better than I have recently um, so you know from I, a, I don't from know a, about that well, I, I don't know completely recently <laughs> over the last four or five years I'm sure you've done better than me um, so you know it, it's, yeah. it's one of those it's one of those horses of course it depends which companies you own of course and, and like, you know, I mean I would go to you know somebody you know if you instead of buying a market index you could just buy Berkshire Hathaway right, right I mean that's right. better yeah. than a market yeah. index yeah. diversified and you get so many things right yep. Yep. so I mean I mean, yeah that's different I mean my largest position is Tesla mm-hmm. I mean if, if Tesla is your largest position you're going to own other things as well yeah, right yeah. so yeah no, that's True. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah, that's that, that's part of the story. Yeah. Um, that's probably the best answer. I, I can talk about it for a while, but I think that's it's horses for courses. Absolutely, please do diversify if you feel like you need to. Um, you know, Warren Buffett only owns Berkshire Hathaway. It's ninety-eight percent of his, his holdings, right? Is he is he silly for not diversifying? Well, in his case, I think he's probably doing the right thing. Uh, Elon Musk owns probably, I'm sure, one hundred percent of his portfolio is largely Tesla in general. So you kind of think about how that kind of rolls out. Maybe that's smart. Maybe it's not, depending on the individual person and your view on those companies. But at some level, diversification that's right for the individual is is probably what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. By the way, I don't own any ETFs, but Berkshire is a quasi ETF. I own an ETF. I'd own a share in 200 or 500 different companies anyway, by definition. So less about the number of companies necessarily. Um, I could own 15 banks, by the way, and that wouldn't be very diversified. Mm-hmm. So it also depends on what you own and how spread they are across industries. Absolutely. Modly for money. Mate, let's move on, but let's mm. stay with banks because we had a question from Darren. Mm. Uh, it was last week, I think. Yes, on Twitter. Uh, and Darren said, I'm keen to know thoughts on US banks. Given Buffett and how has nearly forty percent of his portfolio in banks as we speak, mm. um, so we don't do U.S. stocks a lot. We don't do U.S. banks at all. But Darren asked the question, and we are nothing if not slaves to our listeners, mate. We we love to make our listeners happy. So Darren asked the question, mm-hmm. and we thought we'd try and tackle the topic. Buffett famously has been a very large shareholder in Wells Fargo. Mm-hmm. Personally, he's been a very large shareholder in JP. Well, not very large, I shouldn't say that. A decent amount of his personal portfolio outside Berkshire has been in JP Morgan mm-hmm. for a while. Uh, JP Morgan, I think now in the Berkshire portfolio, if I'm it's, right. I think it, it, one, of the, one of the banks is just behind Apple in terms of the holdings, right? right. I, I don't know which one. but He also the, owns decent stake in Amex. So yeah, he's kind yeah. of very exposed yeah, to the financial yeah. services yeah. sector. Mm. Uh, mate, do you have a view on the US banks? Well, not, not a big, like, not. Thematically, like rising interest rate environment is generally good for the banks mm-hmm. because you know the rising interest rate. The banks are not going to pass on all that interest rate, but they're going to charge other people <laughs> and they're going to make more money. Uh, that's the theme. Yes. The U.S. economy is strong, so that's the theme. <laughs> um, lately, the banks have taken a bit of a hit because mm-hmm. there's there's been this um, you know the stories around um, you know oversupply of housing in, yeah. in the U.S. Um, yeah. So that, so I think you know the rising interest rate environment, strong economy is generally good for the banks and I think that's part of it mm. uh, the US banks are also significantly stronger than they used to mm, be because mm, of the mm. capital requirements that that have been put so they've done a lot of work post the GFC um, so I think that uh, I don't own any big banks um, uh, right now I mean you'd have to you, you'd have to have a good sense of value to do that w- what what I do own is I own two small internet-only banks. Okay. And um, I, I mentioned them on, on Twitter to uh, Darren. So one is uh, um, called Axos Bank. It's just Axos? To, I've never heard of Axos Yeah, Bank. it used to be called Bank of Internet oh, USA. Oh, I know that Buffy. one. Okay. Um, and, Axos, uh, I always worry when companies change their name. What's going on there? 
I have no idea. Right. <laughs> uh, bank, yeah, Tell us about slash Bank of Internet. Yeah, uh, 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 Bank of I- Internet USA. It used to go, there's another one called First Bank, First Internet Bank. Okay. Right. So one of the one of the, the first ones. There's code, a theme here. Yeah, the first one's code is uh, just Bofi, B-O-F-I. The mm-hmm. other one's code is I-N-B-K. I-N-B-K. Uh, B-K. Uh, the, uh, Bofi is a bigger bank, you know, maybe three $3 billion market capitalization US. The other one is smaller, a few hundred million dollar market capitalization really small um, again they're internet only so you'd think the cost structures mm. are lower Bofi has um, has a very efficient use of um, uh, its cost structures you yeah. know so yeah. um, there's been there have been questions about you know whether it's lending is too risky or not but it, it it's um, it's bad debts are pretty low um, so again this is just writing a theme that a lot of people would just want to not go to a branch um, just do everything online and therefore, the, the, the costs are going to be low. You know, you're going to be more efficient in doing everything. Um, so that's, that's the theme. And, um, you know, you use your people more wisely sort of, you know, to essentially work mm. on loan origins. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, these are uh, small, risky positions. <laughs> um, Do you have a view on the other banks? Not really. I mean, the other banks, as I said, I think, I mean, I think generally my view is that, you know, it, it is a... Okay, so a few years ago, if you had invested, you'd have done really well with the banks. <laughs> the banks have done well, but I think the lar- the rising interest rate environment is generally good for the banks. I mean, if the interest rate was like r- near zero, then you're not <laughs> making any money. It's very yeah, hard yeah. to make money. Yeah. Um, so I think that that helps. So I think you know maybe that's the rationale behind why um, Berkshire is invested in 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 or Buffett is invested in banks. I, I don't have a you know any specific view on sort of the large U.S. banks, which is what uh, Buffett is investing in. Yeah. Uh, I'm just taking a different sort of more demographic mm-hmm. type of um, yeah, makes sense. Um, you know view like and, and, and investing in, in this. Again, they're relatively smaller positions uh, compared to some of the bigger ones. And you do like a disruptor. I, I like the disruptor. I, I'm, I'm all about dis- investing <laughs> in the the odd disruptor. So it may not surprise people to know that uh, US banks, in particular Wells Fargo, have been caught doing things that may not be exactly uh, kosher, <laughs> uh, like our banks here at home, and, and frankly not all that dissimilar in terms of the impact or, or what they've been doing. Uh, Wells Fargo had a, a, a catchphrase internally, which eight is great, <laughs> and tellers were encouraged to get people to sign up to eight different Wells Fargo products, uh, which is bad enough. Uh, turns out they also then did it fraudulently by basically faking uh, acceptance of creating accounts in people's names they didn't know about so those tellers could get those results. Uh, I think we can blame the tellers, but I think realistically we can blame management for putting incentives in place, which are just madness. To imagine you could comfortably, reasonably get people to buy eight different bank products from one bank that they desperately needed or even didn't, even, even just basically needed, um, I think it's a really, really tough uh, line to pursue. That being said, Wells Fargo, decent, decent reputation. Buffett has had a long, long, long shareholding in that bank. Um, JP Morgan also, one of the banks that probably escaped the GFC in the best shape, uh, if we exclude Goldman. Um, Jamie Dimon, the CEO, they're very well regarded. Mm. Buffett regards him very highly for what it's worth. And Buffett has a joint venture with with JP Morgan and Amazon mm. to actually create a healthcare company, which is kind of cool. And we won't go into the details on that, but US healthcare, incredibly expensive and badly run. Uh, they're trying to fix that as, that as that group of three people. Buffett's imprimatur on JP Morgan means a decent amount. I don't own shares in either of them, but I do own shares in Berkshire for full disclosure. I should have said that before. Oh, I did say that because we're talking about our holdings. Um, so, you know, in terms of in terms of kind of how that impacts, that's just one thing to be a little bit mindful of. I don't have a strong view on the US banks. I don't think they look particularly cheap. Um, Buffett knows better than me, though, so who am I to say he's wrong? Modly full money. Mate, during the week, mm-hmm. you had a tweet to you, mm-hmm. 
which in theory was supposed to go past me and not and me not see it. And you were supposed to bring something up in this podcast. Yeah. And only because I'm, I, I noticed it, by the way. So nice, nice try, you two. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, you gotta, you can't hide on Twitter. I saw it, <laughs> but because I'm a good bloke, because I'm going to do the right thing, I'm going to share mm. Francesco's email, a tweet to you, uh-huh. uh, and I will cop what comes. Francesca says, hey, Anirban Mahanti, or at, sorry, hey, at Anirban Mahanti. So if you want to tweet, Doc, you can, at Anirban Mahanti. Love the Motley Fool podcast. Love it's my that. Friday, well, that's why I'm mentioning it. Mm. It's, our, it's my Friday afternoon ride home from work. Mm. I haven't included Scott on purpose. <laughs> I, I wonder if you could ask him how his Bitcoin is going. He hasn't mentioned it in a while, <laughs> smiley face. Enjoy the week. Mm. I would, if I was a speculator, mate, I would speculate that Francesco is having a go at me. What do you reckon? <laughs> he probably is. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Well, sometimes, you know, people have a go at you. It's okay. I know, I've noticed that too. It's, actually, it's it completely yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a fair go. So I suppose you blokes want to know what's going on with my Bitcoin, do you? Well, I mean, you know, uh, he knows that you can't sell it, which which seems to be correct, true. right? You can't sell it. So, that's you know, true, what, has, what has happened? What has happened well, to your Bitcoins? The funny thing about... So here's how bad my Bitcoin is, right? Do, do you own one Bitcoin or do you own a fractional Bitcoin? Well, so I, I own a fra- very, very fractional Bitcoin. <laughs> okay. Although right now the dollar values are so low, it, you can't, you're almost indistinguishable. <laughs> how, how bad is this, mate? Mm. So I, I have paid that little attention to my Bitcoin. I've changed mm. phones since last time we talked about it. Mm. I can't remember my code to get into my account to work out how much Bitcoin I actually own mm. currently, which would be a lovely excuse if I was trying to avoid the topic. Uh, but I can't, I literally cannot get into <laughs> into my Coinbase account. Although, as Francesco also rightly pointed out, I still can't sell. So it wouldn't matter if I could. Fair to say my Bitcoin, my $100 worth of Bitcoin I bought about 18 months ago, maybe. Okay. It's worth a little bit less than that now. A little bit or like I, no, 50% no, less? Well, you're close. If I was a betting man, I reckon it's probably worth about 70 bucks right now. Last time I looked on my old phone, it was 83 or 85, okay. something like that. So I reckon it's probably worth a little bit less than that now. Thank you very much for mentioning that, Francesco. And I will say for those who are newer listeners, it was bought just as a, as a bit of fun and to keep an eye on the, on the market. I'm clearly not buying $100 worth of Bitcoin to make my fortune. Mm. Uh, well, maybe you did think you're going to make a fortune. You know, maybe it's going to go to like bucks. Yeah, well, maybe it's going to go like 100 fold. And, you know. Good luck with that. <laughs> Uh, yes, You're I. Just not telling the I truth. still, I still can't sell my share. My Bitcoin, put it that way. <laughs> oh, jeez, are we done? Yes. All right, fools. Before we go, as I want to do, don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favourite Android podcast app. You know what's scary, Doc? Mm. I actually haven't got the script in front of me. I couldn't find the script, and I can still do it off the top of my head. Oh. And if you like what we're doing, please do give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Tell your fellow podcast listeners how much fun this is, how enjoyable it is, how much value you get from it, and frankly, how smart and good-looking we are, because that always helps. Mm. Uh, please do give us a review, because it helps other people find the podcast as well. We've done, we've done okay in the charts recently, but we do a little bit of extra boost. We think that uh, what we're doing is hopefully helping you and hopefully helping or could help your fellow members, your fellow investors. So please do give us a rating and review. If you wouldn't mind, that'd be lovely. A bit of a Christmas present for us. What do you reckon, Doc? Oh, I think it's it, it's only fair. It's only fair. It's only fair. And before we go, instead of my usual sign-off, yeah, we're going to say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, we'll be back. Before, we'll, we'll, we'll be back before then. Okay, we'll be back next week. Okay. Until then, full on, full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.